Visit and join at patreon.com slash consensus on reality for exclusive episodes, written content and more. I repeat patreon.com slash consensus on reality for horrible spells and artificially intelligent overlords. Cool. Welcome to another episode of Consensus on Reality. Uh, this time we are joined by Emily Russo, a writer and scholar on uh, mysticism and all sorts of other things. And we're going to be talking today about um, the impact that uh, research into these topics might have on the creative life and we're going to sort of segue into a discussion on the works and life of Georges Bataille and his Asifal Society. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah, thanks and, for uh, us, for sure. Yeah, we have uh, Dave here as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. What episode is this? Is this 42? Uh I forget actually that's kind of a bad look but yeah it's I think in it's the 40 40s. Too. yeah yeah <laughs> we're, we're keeping cool. it pretty uh yeah we're low-key we don't remember <laughs> what episode it is so and yeah, no, I think it's 42 yeah um cool so let's uh let's talk about what is what is mysticism <laughs> is a good place to start and how does that have to do with uh the creative the creative act is maybe a suitably open-ended question to begin with. Oh boy. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, well, it's an almost impossible word to yeah. define. So I'm teaching a class on mysticism right now, actually. Um, and, and each week we're doing sort of um, like almost like oblique entrances into different kinds of mysticism so mm -hmm. um last week we actually did george bataille and his sort of mysticism without mysticism and religion without religion and we've done we've talked about sort of like um mystical reading and writing and like how to find um how, how one might find language for the unnameable and like processes of negation and sort of like darkness mysticism traditions. So, I mean, I think that mysticism or the idea of like what is veiled or hidden is really totally inseparable from any kind of creative process and especially language. Um, this sort of like terrible gift we've been given. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like, why maybe you know Hermes is the god of both magic and and the word uh yeah that connection has always been very fruitful for me to consider it always leads in nice nice directions um yeah and he's like um like such a tricky god you know there's this yeah. like ambivalence about Hermes where um he rules you know poetry and magic but also like thieves yeah. and I think that's amazing. I mean, and it also sort of leads in then to like the sort of uh, idea of the messenger as angel, who's also always an ambivalent figure because mm. the demon is like, is sort of structurally hooked up always to the angel. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I feel like you get that in like the old uh, grimoires where like the sort of beings you're get getting in touch with are like, it's 
the distinction isn't always so clear whether it's like some sort of like demon or some sort of angelic being at least like from the like hindsight of contemporary magic i feel like the distinctions are kind of blurred so that's yeah yeah my, yeah, yeah totally yeah every uh, angel is is terrible right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um that's cool what else have you been teaching in that class or what what texts have you been reading oh, um what did we looked a lot this past week at um George Bataille's inner experience, which is one mm. of his, um, yeah, part of his a theological summa. Um, and then we looked at, I was sort of showing images of, because it's so hard to like approach any, any kind of mystical writing, especially George Bataille, who's like, who's really, um, kind of trippy and headless. So we talked about the sun and like ways of relating to unmediated light. So we were looking at like NASA photos of the sun up close and then also like the fall of Icarus and different different like symbologies of light. Um, yeah. Things like that. That's so interesting. I, um, I'm reading, uh, do you know Charles Williams? The He was a novelist, but he was friends with uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, mm -hmm. Tolkien. And I'm reading his book, uh, All Hallows Eve cool. right now. And or is it night? But uh, I'm reading that right now, and it's uh, there's a scene about this painting where I can't get into it too much, and we might do a show about this guy eventually. But this, yeah, that idea of light, like pure, sort of like uh, pure. I don't know, like it's like philosophical light or something. Like this, like uh, almost alchemical version of of light and this sort of main villain in the text is like so disgusted by it. Um, and there's, it's just a great scene of the, he, he's a writer that's very interested in like good and evil. Um, cool. But yeah, light and Bataille I feel from the bit I've read is like pretty important too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's like, um we were talking about limit experiences before we started recording and like the yeah. is really interesting because he sort of deranges the sun. Like he sort of troubles the idea that it's this, this source of truth or um, clarifying like symbol of eternity. And, and he has this text called rotten sun, which we talked about uh, mm -hmm. this week where he says that there's also this other sun that deranges forms and creates madness. And so he sort of like always foregrounds, the like material properties, the like base material properties of things, even even the sun, which is so yeah, the, the idea that the sun, which is usually this like this like philosophical whatever illuminating source, could become um, deforming and mm. like create a kind of limit is is interesting to me. Also, I think it's like maybe the space of mysticism and poetry and um, yeah. Where, where like philosophical language dissolves. Yeah, that's great. I, w one reason I like, maybe we don't have to jump all into Bataille right away, but one reason I like Bataille is um, often with like what, what is called theory or whatever, um, I'm not very good at, uh, like it, uh, the machine breaks down pretty quickly for me when I'm reading that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it just turns into like this sort of like frustration. Um, 
which is very a very different experience with poetry. Um, so for some reason, reading Bataille feels often more like the experience of reading poetry than it does uh, if I'm reading like like Deleuze or one of those guys, where it's just more like this uh, mathematical exercise or something almost, at least to my brain. So yeah, totally. That's yeah. He's kind of like a interesting. I mean, Nietzsche is the same way. I can, I can like dig him in a way that like, I can't uh, yeah. with some of the other stuff. But yeah, I wonder um, what else uh, have you been looking into in terms of of mysticism? I think somehow I was made aware that you were reading the Dionysius thing. Mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, some, yeah. <laughs> the, something on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we read, that was the first text we read in the class a few weeks ago, the mystical theology, which is like the seven page text um, mm-hmm. that kind of outlines almost like a, like a negative theology. Um, so it's like kind of create, it was sort of, it was sort of a bizarro place to start because it's literally like pseudo Dionysius is unknown. Like no one really knows who this person yeah. was and he's writing about, the unknown and the unknowable <laughs> yeah. and so it was like a bit it's like it's like a quite trippy topic to teach especially on zoom which is like a slippery medium anyway so I'm always trying yeah. to find ways to like ground the conversation yeah that's wild that's um and then like the divine names and all that sort of thing it's a very yeah. interesting thing for a writer that's sort of unnamed to be an authority on <laughs> oh but, yeah yeah the divine names that was the i think you had posted that yeah that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 um have you yeah. have you encountered uh like the symbol of the black sun a lot in other places um besides uh bataille um the black sun i think i think it is a sort of a cult symbol but i'm not i'm not totally like well versed on it um what about you yeah no there's there's this book i didn't finish it it's like um we were kind of like bouncing around on it and then jumping into other stuff um oh the the Jungian one yeah the black sun uh the alchemy and art of darkness but it's kind of a great book yeah it's like an anthology of um i guess the dark side of of the sun within like alchemy and mysticism um um, yeah, I was I was reminded of that when you you mentioned the rotten sun and I guess also like the kind of the concept of like the dying god comes out of the sun creating this like dichotomy there like originally right because uh, your your god dies every day <laughs> yeah uh, like Mithras and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah yeah for sure um, yeah this idea of the black sun it's also it's like it also it's also very Nietzschean I think like like night being also a kind of sun and these like yeah. reversals of values um yeah uh, and also yeah. i guess dionysius and like the idea of like expenditure and mm-hmm. like loss instead of gain or accumulation yeah i think what was in that book the black sun he goes on quite a bit about the harry crosby the poet um I think it's Harry Crosby, but uh, he was like this really interesting poet that 
died. I think it was probably suicide. Um, I can't, but he was obsessed with this idea of, um, of the black sun and he keeps like, Hmm. Oh yeah. (laughs) He died as part of a murder suicide pact um, is how he died. But yeah. And his like the the famous biography about him, which is, an example of like a poet whose like life in the form of a biography is more well-known than his works. Um, it was called the black sun. And so this other black sun book and then, yeah, I, I can't well, remember yeah. like how much of that has to do with maybe like the ecstatic out of um, sun staring and stuff too, how it creates like an optical effect of like a black spot in your mm-hmm. eye. Um, I can't, I think there was some of that in there, but, in some of your writings, weren't you talking about like the eye recently as well? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of, I'm obsessed with light and um, I, yeah, I, I, I do. I like to talk, I like to think about like sort of the eye, like as in the organ of sight, but also the eye <laughs> as in yeah. first person pronoun um, as like ways that like, like how we use, how we use these things. I mean, and I think, I think some of the mystical writers are interesting for this because they're doing very different things with the the eye of autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, you know, the self is always like thrown outside of the self. And so um, I, I, I think especially during these times where like, it seems to be like auto, auto everything is very, very <laughs> trending. Um, this idea of like auto fiction and blah, blah. And like, like what the difference between like looking looking at looking out at one's life from like a a point of authority or authorship versus like the eye constantly getting away from you um which is I think why for me like the mystical autobiographies or quote-unquote autobiographies are so compelling because there's like this slipperiness and like the the self is is not the self does that make sense yeah that's great that's do you know the artist uh, Victor Bronner? I don't know. Um, I like, maybe we can use this to segue into something else, but he had this famous self-portrait as like a self-portrait with like a, some like really gross word about his eye, like self-portrait with a crushed eye or something like something like that. And <laughs> Nice. Oh, yeah, I'm looking um, at stuff now. It looks very eye-centric. <laughs> and he he painted the self-portrait with his eye sort of, uh, like, ruined or destroyed somehow. Like this, And it's very, very, like, realistic and gruesome and, like, but his eye was actually fine, like, in real life. And then, um, like, a decade or so later, he, like, the same injury happened to him, like, in a bar fight. <laughs> and he that happened to his eye. Oh. Whoa. And he was really interesting. His work is, he's one of my favorites. And he was also sort of obsessed with like uh, esoteric and mystical like languages embedded in his, in his paintings. Nice. Um, yeah. I mean, that's gross. That's really gross. <laughs> like that's why the, the eye, it's like, that's like the, I, this kind of eye we're talking about, I think is often like, becomes the eye of horror and i think that's dave that is that what you were talking about like i think i was writing about texas chainsaw massacre eye or something like that um like 
which is like to me one of the most mystical films ever um yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, i haven't seen that in so long um self-portrait with a plucked eye Ooh, nice title yeah i'm not sure what it was i think it was probably in french he was romanian but i think a really good title that should yeah. be the episode title <laughs> he's awesome um yeah and he maybe we can start t- talking about this uh bataille concept of limit experiences more deeply um not you know just because this guy browner was uh really important in this in this book I recently wrote and that is about like the limit experience of uh like the cluster headache disorder um which is a not really it's I've talked about it on the podcast slightly before but it's like this really intensely mystical experience um that reminds me a lot of stuff like Hellraiser and like stuff like uh um, I can't think of it that many good examples because it's like a, it's like the filling of the head with like angelic fire sort of, um, and like all these weird mental effects. Uh, it's like a, yeah, it's a neuralgia. It's not like a headache in the classic sense. It's like a, you know, a primary headache. It's, it's not a headache caused by something as much as that is what it is. And so it's like this anyway. So the, the, I wrote this this work about it, which is a, it's channeled from a future incarnation of myself, um, who is sort of an Android and is still dealing with this thing, even though like most of his body has been replaced by, it's not really what, anyway, I don't want to get too in the weeds with it, but this idea of, um, the limit experience is like the horrible sort of fertile grounds for creative, uh, innovation is sort of i don't know is that anything <laughs> <laughs> is that anything? <laughs> yeah it's like it's great it's uh i it's i mean yeah that sounds really trippy the cluster headache i mean i think that yeah you and i overlap in this way because i my book wave archive is very much about um i don't know i guess we could i guess limit experiences via seizures so this idea of like a change in consciousness um yeah i mean literally like just uh becoming unconscious right <laughs> and then how do you describe it as something that you were not really necessarily there for or you were severely altered for so yeah i think like sickness as mystical experience is kind of an interesting arena yeah um i talk about her all the time but this eugenia Maser story person who i have been, you know, working with her, um, putting together selected works, not working with her, she's dead, but working with her works. Um, I remember when I first met this, another woman who was friends with her and I was trying to get more information on her paintings said that Eugenia had like a, I think it was her left arm, like didn't really work. And this person like phrased it as like, that was the price she paid for like this intense psychic awareness. (laughs) <laughs> and which I you know I was like I don't man like that's that's, that's dark but like mm-hmm. I do feel like historically there's this link between like either like if not near-death experience then like the presence of death in life or pain like extreme pain or extreme loss and like a sort of heightened or 
I don't know, more raw, like psychic thing going on. Um, I would agree. I would tend to agree. I think it's interesting now. I think we're in time. I think we're sort of in these weird times where um, pain is, we're like, like, it's almost like a kind of palliative society or we're like sort of afraid of pain or pain is all pain is bad or something. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, I think there, I think that the the mystics are interesting in this regard. We we were reading um, Angela Fellinio's work. who's like, she's like a 13th century mystic. And she, like a lot of times these people were almost like, one they they felt that like like sickness somehow made you closer to the divine which is mm-hmm. inter- which is a sort of interesting and disturbing right i guess yeah i mean but also yeah i mean i can see there's also a sort of danger in that like this idea of like mystifying illness like susan sontag talks about this like we should we should never mystify illness but there is i mean inevitably there's this like sort of gray area as you know so i think i don't know there does seem to be something there yeah um i yeah i think it's really it's really dangerous and uh but it's also it's also a truth to it that is like this yeah it's an it's an uncomfortable truth and it's not like let's just call it an inconvenient truth i don't know (laughs) yeah 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 well i guess like i mean we could say if we're gonna be battalion about it like all art is dangerous is dangerous and criminal yeah. right <laughs> <You know? laughs> right uh, yeah i guess that's he wishes <laughs> yeah. um i guess i guess yeah in some way or another it is criminal <laughs> yeah. um so like for our listeners who maybe don't know would you be able to describe like what a limit experience is i know like for me obviously it conjures um the agony and the ecstasy, the like the Baroquean work of art. I think it's like St. Teresa, right? Or yeah. Yeah. Like that is like a limit experience in, in, uh, I don't know, in, in visual form classically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? There's like that famous sculpture, um, where she sort of looks like she's in ecstasy. Yeah. Yeah. She's being like, she's meeting one of the angels, but it looks like she's being plunged with like a lightning rod in her chest. Also like, Mm. I don't know, like, uh, yeah, the agony yeah. and ecstasy, right? Yeah, I, I let, yeah, I would, I would say that that's a good example. <laughs> Limit experience. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But sent yeah, essentially, like the physical pushing yourself to like physical and spiritual limits, where um, pain and pleasure, sort of, or pain and even like ecstatic feelings, are sort of like drawn to a point where they mean the same thing or kind of reach the same um planes of existence or thought i suppose right is that kind of like yeah i like that i mean i think it's really hard to define again but yeah i think that's i think oftentimes the thing about any kind of limit is that um it's hard to know it unless you've like arrived at it or surpassed it in some way Mm -hmm. so um i think i think that the way that angela felino for instance or a lot of the mystics talk about um like meeting with 
quote unquote God or the divine or the like unnameable whatever is um, that for that, for those like sort of very brief moments, they can't remember anything, um, Mm. not even themselves, you know, the I is totally gone. The self is like deleted. So it's not like I, I so-and-so am having this limit experience. (laughs) Um, So there it's totally, so I would say it's probably quite frightening slash um yeah potentially ecstatic or whatever but then the sort of thing i guess how it relates to language is then like when the limit experience has receded how does one talk about that or recall recall it in some way right yeah yeah that's so interesting yeah because it's uh when i was kind of reading back over like 101 bataille stuff before we did this um Uh, I was the for some reason this idea of like radiation uh, came to mind when I was thinking of the limit experience where like in everyday life you're at a lower sort of radiation and there's like distinguishable colors and then the higher it gets the more it becomes a sort of uh, like invisible corrosive not corrosive but like that's what it would be to us like this like you know eventually like gamma rays or something like that where it's just like uh wiping out of everything like yeah that's a cool visual yeah i i like that um and yeah i don't know if that's and i obviously don't think that that's like what he was but for some reason that that is how it uh clicked trying to understand this concept for me um yeah it's quite dangerous i think it's there's a danger in it because um there's like always at least you know in these texts like whatever uh medieval mysticism or bataille or whoever we're talking we're talking about or even like uh the cluster headache thing or seizures like there's always this thing of you might not survive right (laughs) i mean i mean and i think that i guess we'll get into this but this is like this is like um sort of one of I think Bataille's fascinations with or interest in Nietzsche because Nietzsche like had that I guess what we might describe as a limit experience I don't even know that yeah, what, right. you know the sort of famous story with the horse mm-hmm. right yeah yeah so like, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of wondering about that because I mean the way that I kind of like had described it has like a very S&M sort of like Hellraiser feel but I just that's <laughs> like that's kind yeah. of like totally simplifying it, um, because I'm I'm I wondering. Love Hellraiser, though. Yeah, no, of course, yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's great. Um, but I'm wondering if there's like if you could reach a point from like, is there like a limit experience of information? It seems like that, or uh-huh. like thought. That's probably kind of what happened to Nietzsche, I guess. In or like, like yeah, that's, that's happening interesting. To a nervous breakdown too, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's good. That's cool to think about. I mean, slash disturbing with the internet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes I me think know. of, uh, I don't have like a better example, but like the film pie, you know, seems like a mm-hmm. sort of drowning mm-hmm. yourself in a certain like practice or information. I know like has like really haven't seen that in a long time, but I know there's like a lot of like Kabbalah stuff in there and, and whatnot, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. The well, like the limit experience of the internet. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's 
or it feels like another way of saying what I feel like is kind of, uh, if not obvious, then like sort of subconsciously understood by everyone, which is that we're not supposed to know all this stuff. It's too much stuff. And yeah, 100%. We have, we have yeah. access to so, so many things. Like, like, um, just like medic, like for instance, coming from a hypochondriac of sorts, like the amount of medical advertisements that you get about things that really have no real bearing on your life. Like not that many people watch TV anymore, I guess, but like on television or like even on the internet, like just getting ads for these like constant, like medications and like new sub versions of different illnesses. It's like, um, I think it's making people sick. It's like kind of like a, that's its own sort yeah. of beyond a certain limit, you know? Yeah. I kind of yeah. see like, uh, like a new subculture arising from like, um, internet based occultism is sort of like pattern recogs, like constantly like really seeing like a layer of, um, connections, you know, that are like a hyper connectivity of everything. Um, and sort of like weaving this very dense web of connections. Um, and you might just seem like you're bordering on like schizophrenia to like a normal person, you know, like it's, there's this sort of like weird apex meeting place. Um, Mm. it has to do with the, the, like building a meta narrative too, you know, and like Mm -hmm. the idea of like telling true lies and stuff, but it seems like that's kind of where the, and I, I think us too, with this podcast maybe is like sort of what, like looking into media culture. And I think you do it maybe with your writings too, like focusing a lot on movies and, searching for um patterns that might not be intentionally embedded but like there's a connectivity of things like maybe you know in another dimension or something i don't really have the right Right. language for it but under the silver screen yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i think that's absolutely like this sort of rhizomatic uh thing that happens on the internet where we're sort of i mean also of course the algorithm increases this tendency and also i guess conspiratorial thinking in every in every way um i think i think the internet makes us i think there's a kind of paranoia built into it also yeah right i mean especially as more stuff moves on to it uh yeah like people didn't used to be paranoid about like the kind of things they're paranoid about now regarding surveillance like mm-hmm. getting like some like hacked like i don't it's just like it's it's this new fear i mean there's always been like identity theft stuff but like like as yeah. if your persona can be taken over and then like made to look like bad <laughs> like in this right, like, like clones <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah, I think, yeah like weaving it back to your like mentioning of the eye earlier too it's kind of like built on a, a an inherent conspiracy where your senses are constantly being deceived on the internet in the first place and nothing uh literally is what it seems it's all windows into language you know like the architecture of it is kind of like built on a sensory conspiracy to begin with. And I don't know if that kind of drives people into that sort of frame of thinking, like, I don't know if that's the first layer or something, but. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I think, 
I think it's sort of what you're describing in gender is almost like this, like this, like mutual, mutually, um, these, this double movement, which is like, I think it, people are given to like mystical thinking or like magical thinking and all kinds of different, you know, like ghost in the machine stuff, but also like really intense conspiratorial thinking or paranoia, but also then this kind of like tech technocratic, like um, workaholism or everything must be serving some utility or function. Mm. Even your life has to have like this grand life purpose or whatever. So I think that you know what I mean? This like, yeah, this like kill it. So yeah. So I think I see that a lot sort of, a bit bonkers or yeah (laughs) that's kind of like exactly what the tie was fighting against too right yeah he's very much an anti-utility philosopher which i think is why he's potentially like quite relevant right now Mm. right what is the uh the term he used is was not coming to mind but like um excess yeah yeah or yeah (laughs) (laughs) just like these uh (laughs) the importance of these things that aren't like and that like eventually you know if they're not utilized and like less i don't know harm is a weird thing to talk about with him but like if they're not (laughs) if they're not expressed in a certain way they come out in war eventually right yeah, yeah. He says the planet is sick with wealth and our problem is it's all modeled on the sun for him, you know, just like the sun that gives so much constantly. Our problem is not um, accumulation, but it's like what we do with all of our accumulated stuff. We don't know how to use it, you know, and, we're, and we hoard it. And so that creates sickness and war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like in in like economically, you know, or or even just this idea we're talking about it in terms of reading, like how one reads something, sort of for um, you know extracting things from it, or in this yeah. way of like. So he kind of taught, he sort of teaches, I think, how to read him um, through his readings of like Marquis de Sade and yeah. Nietzsche and the mystics and stuff. Mm. Oh, it's the it's expenditure, right, or something like the accursed yes, share. Expenditure without reserve. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we have to figure out what to do with our accursed share. Right. <laughs> that's that's called living. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. I think it reminds me of like like a well, never mind. <laughs> that, that train of thought didn't arrive, but um, <laughs> yeah, expenditure, right? So maybe it's a good time to get into his sort of that stranger aspect of this strange guy, uh, his, <laughs> his uh, college of sociology. Okay, uh, yeah, I have, I have some notes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm prepared. <laughs> cool. Um, um, let me, you want, like, well, we, yeah, I mean, we talk about Asifal and the college of sociology, which was like the public face of it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have anything you want to talk about specifically? Or um, I know you guys talk a lot about like, what is now I'm forgetting the term, but you like use a term like hoax, hoax, hoax like hoax. hoaxing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how it might relate to that. Yeah, I was, it feels so because like, yeah, it's still even like, you know, reading the introduction to the pretty recent book, uh, The Sacred Conspiracy, like, it all feels 
pretty figured out like this person was finally like led into the archives so to speak and <laughs> mapped this sort of strange little group that Batai kind of ran um but so much of it still feels like kind of just like a sort of self-serving legend um that yeah, there then, are certain like, parts of yeah. the legend that are like uh, people just sort of are it's like we only hear like these little things like I think the famous mm. one is like the human sacrifice thing right. it's like <laughs> that's like the one thing everyone knows <laughs> right and um, it kind of like feedback feeds back into itself and becomes this like legend yeah um, so right. yeah what is I mean mm-hmm. I love I love uh headlessness it's a good symbol uh yeah so what is it yeah asafal so um it's it's a the name of a secret society for those who are like who are, i feel like there are probably people listening who are like what the fuck are they talking about yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um definitely. i guess that's always the case with anything yeah. so asafal is a secret society uh 19 it ran like only briefly 1936 to 1939 and um founded by george uh Andre Masson who drew the the dude people probably are yeah. familiar with the acephalus figure no head the head is like below the guts the guts are a labyrinth uh there's like a, there's like a knife in one hand and like a flaming heart in the other it's it's cute um and also like Pierre Klosowski who I think you're a fan you're a fan yeah of. I love him and others um also like um Claire Pignot uh who's George Bataille's lover was also very into it um but I guess it was kind of mostly a boys club um but so the idea was um they wanted to kind of forge this community um that was not about oriented around power at all so that was the kind of like dream you know they were they were reacting to um like a lot of the political groups they were in at the time, like leftists and anti-fascist groups that sort of encountering in sort of trying to counter power also became about power, mm. um, which feels familiar. You know, I feel like this is always happening. So yeah. I don't know. As it falls, a kind of interesting <laughs> model, I think, because um, they're trying to build a community on freedom. And like, what does it mean to be free um, is like the main question, you know? Um, so they think that, the the sacred has been totally like lost in in the modern world um and so they they called it a kind of religion of madness or um they you know this idea of like sort of finding and founding a new ethics or a new morality after the famous Nietzschean death of god um proclamation so like really kind of I guess we could see it as like a religion of this world or like always coming back to uh the stuff of the, the sort of base stuff of life um they like often i think meditated around a tree that had been stuck struck by lightning um and they also put out a journal uh called asaphal so they like the first journal for instance was dedicated to um nietzsche like kind of almost rescue almost attempting to rescue Nietzsche from appropriations by the Nazis but also appropriations by leftists so they didn't they they wanted to sort of reinvigorate Nietzsche as like this thinker of freedom who couldn't be appropriated by any like you know political group like so even that like this idea of utilizing a thinker for your own ends um I think that's I think that's also really interesting now because like I think there are a lot of assumptions 
speaking of the internet about like uh, who, what it means if you read someone or like what it means if you follow someone or retweet someone or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I, like this idea, like Bataille is certainly, I think a thinker of, and I think like a lot of people make this claim, but of like contagion, you know, not very, he's very anti-purity. So just like this idea of, um, that we could possibly like create a community without contagion is is a problem for him you know we have to create a kind of radically open labyrinthine community of difference um am i making sense yeah <laughs> like rambling okay <laughs> okay does that like kind of start to answer what the hell asphalt is for sure yep. okay huh so what uh what is yeah? What's with the human sacrifice stuff? <laughs> um, I don't know. I know it's like it's like weird. Somehow I've like become like like Bataille is the figure for whatever reason I've like studied most devotedly. So I feel like mm. people are like, oh, are you like people? It's like this. I have to be like, no, I'm not into human sacrifice. But um, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I think so. The idea was they sac- like sacrifice, meaning obviously like etymologically to make sacred so to destroy and raise up at the same time I guess would be the ultimate kind of act of expenditure (laughs) (laughs) um and so the myth is I don't know if this is true but that like they had plenty of volunteers to to be the sacrifice but they couldn't find anyone to do the sacrifice right (laughs) yeah to to perform it (laughs) yeah I, I don't I'm I'm surprised that aspect gets like uh I'm not surprised it gets so much attention, but it seems kind of like a, almost like a Dadaist, like folklore. Yeah, totally. Clearly like a surrealist, uh, that they were like, well, Masan was like a surrealist. Yeah. It's kind of like reminds me of that, um, mm. where of course nobody was sacrificed, you know? But if they wanted right. to look, they probably could have found somebody who would have killed somebody pretty easily, you know. Right, exactly, right, right, right. I mean, yeah, like right. This, like, whatever Andre Breton said, like the simplest act of surrealism would be to like run through the streets with a gun, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, these were mostly like. I mean, Bataille certainly was like a dissident surrealist. He was like kicked out of the surrealist crew mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of these other dudes were too um they were like dark surrealists or something <laughs> yeah they thought the surrealists were bougie <laughs> yeah well, they weren't wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> whoa yeah that stuff yeah it's also interesting um I mean, so, so what yeah, else guess, yeah oh, sorry go ahead no go ahead yeah. oh i was just gonna say like i guess maybe another important aspect of it is like the the whole Nietzsche thing, Nietzsche being often this thinker of like, like people think of him as, you know, just sort of simply um, an atheist or like a nihilist or whatever. And Bataille was trying to kind of reinvigorate this idea of, of something being like a, a religion founded on the death of God or a religion without religion. So finding elements of like traces of the sacred in Nietzsche's writing and like the kind of joyful ecstaticness of it. I mean, even now Nietzsche is often thought of as like, I don't know, it's just like quite, it's quite bleak the way he's talked about. So I think Bataille was trying to, Bataille's Nietzsche mm. is like this sort of dazzled, mad Nietzsche, you know? Mm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Or like the idea of like a philosopher whose head is not where it should be. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. The, um, the headless horseman of philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Forever roaming the uh, the vaults of libraries. <laughs> did you? Did either of you see The Sinner, um, that TV show? No. Uh, no, they talk what? about it's like in the I think it's season three. It's like so fucking dark, but they I like I like that show. But they talk about Nietzsche, and it's just like very like you know oh like teenage boys like him, but it's like dangerous and like it's mm. like very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they're yeah. not wrong either. I don't know. They'll yeah, think, I mean, uh, I think teenage there's a boys do like them for sure. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you guys go through like teenage boy Nietzsche phases? <laughs> uh. Not really, but certainly like other people were. You know, I probably wish wasn't even that that cool. You know, but I, I didn't read him until college, really, and that was, you know, I was just like, I don't really, I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm writing, I'm writing poems. Yeah, so yeah I was right. Like, <laughs> it was dumb, but uh, I like him now. I, yeah, I've like kind of gone back to him several times over the last like 10 years and it's always kind of like new or something there's always something else to be found mm. in those books yeah some poems too yeah <laughs> yeah um who were your people like like as adolescents <laughs> that's a good question i think i was like processing the uh curriculum you know i was kind of like thinking about this recently and like the i guess it was i think it was like across the board but the high school i went to had like a very existential uh like almost like existential slash like disassociative like stream of books like definitely uh camus like the stranger um yeah, yeah, yeah. One when you're like 16 or whatever. It's kind <laughs> yeah. Of, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I liked that when I was that age. Yeah. Um, so that stuff kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. That that was like high school curriculum. Mm-hmm. I don't. Oh, think I liked like high school curriculum, right? What's I? Who? Wait, what? Sorry, Ben. What did you say? <laughs> I said I liked Bukowski a lot when I was like. 15 oh, yeah totally <laughs> and I, I was like this guy's such a jerk this is great yeah. <laughs> this is so great i was like uh, really into sylvia plath that's it i also like sylvia plath yeah any of that dark stuff that you could get at borders or whatever <laughs> yeah. oh my god borders. borders yeah. <laughs> plus like definitely all the uh sort of dystopian utopian sci-fis like oh yeah yeah yeah. brave new world and 1984 and all that stuff like it just it's kind of yeah i don't know it's like odd the the parameters they're setting for like 15 to 17 year olds you know it's not it's not bad like i'm glad i read that stuff but yeah we're finally using it now so yeah for the right type of person it's like gonna tailspin you a little bit probably yeah yeah I don't know. Um, yeah. you, have you ever seen the the Baylatar film, the Turin Horse? It's like I haven't. I really want to. Is it good? Have yeah, you seen it? Seen. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, well, I don't know. It's pretty bleak, but it's like it's really good. There's some great like you know stills uh, where if you just snapshot like the dialogue, you know, it's mm. 
there are no gods and there's no god but like two people like <laughs> sitting at like a the most like rustic table with a door that looks like it's gonna blow off the hinges and stuff and there's like nice. the first sequence is like like 10 minutes of the torn horse of the famed story you know who was like beaten by its master in the street like just barreling down this like old dirt road and it's just like the most like ruggedly shot thing it's nice I, yeah. yeah i'm gonna watch it totally thanks yeah let's thanks let's talk me. movies uh, oh yeah let's talk movies either of you ever see society oh my god no but it's on my list oh man i just watched that uh like a week ago absurd truly insane movie yeah it's on my it's on my like shutter list like the total like just like the most blatant Illuminati kind of like conspiracy <laughs> movie. Is it like, like kind of funny or not? Oh, it's hilarious. Okay, and that's why the special effects are like truly grotesque. It's okay. it's one of the, my favorite things I've seen in a while. It's so oh, okay. I'm gonna watch up. it. Oh, good. Oh, cool. um, if you you know oh. like if you like you know extremely corny horror that has like a sort of weird undercurrent. I do. Yeah. <laughs> then I can recommend it. Um, what are um, what are some of the best examples of uh, limit experiences within films that you could think of? Because obviously Hellraiser is like going to be in, in the Bataille primer, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Bataille movie list. Um, <laughs> I think the Bataille is like the original new French extremity person you, you know uh, the <laughs> the like school of yeah um so they were i guess it was like the early 2000s but i so i really think a lot of those films do a good job um with the limit experience i mean some of them are like very hard to watch but yeah, um, it's like watching it like a limit experience possibly <laughs> i know that's a good question i mean i think that like with like do you guys know gasper no ways films mm-hmm. yeah like i think that there's something in there like he can be really just like, you know, almost just, it almost feels like transgression for transgression's sake or something, which isn't that mm. interesting to me. But like, I think what he does formally is really cool. Like, I mean, I always feel like I'm like on drugs when I'm watching one of his movies and like how he moves the camera, I mean, and yeah. the lights. So I think that like formal transgression is interesting in Bataille's writing, like how it's sort of hybrid and uncharacterizable and also in some of those films. Um, I just wrote about um, Titan, the Julia Ducournau movie. It came out like oh, last yeah. year. How, yeah, I wanted to see that, but I have not. Yeah. Is that been meaning to watch that yeah. as well? Uh, you know, it's like it was like really divisive. I don't know if you, I yeah, it's like people were sort of <laughs> loving it or hating it. I guess yeah. like so many, I mean, the internet makes everything divisive. Um, right. So I don't know if I liked it or not, honestly, but I'm really glad it exists. It does some interesting things. So I tried to kind of just write about it formally. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I would, yeah, I mean, I would watch it. Um, oh, yeah. What do you think about like sort of like the, <laughs> the like A24 horror movies? Um, like in there, because I feel like they're often appealing to this sort of thing of like this like uh, ecstatic horror, like in Midsummer, for example. Like, 
Um, where it's yeah, like this bright sort of overwhelming like daylight horror. Right. I, never, I don't think I know the term A twenty four horror. Uh, just like the, it's as the house that puts him out. Oh. <laughs> oh like, okay. I don't know if they actually did. It's just like, it's kind of like a cliched term for like a certain kind of like indie stuff that's happening now. What else? What else besides Midsummer? I mean, I've seen that one. Um, I think it's it's like, I mean, it's really. Oh, which one? Hereditary. Oh, right. Um, They just did The Green Knight, which isn't horror per se, but all their films kind of have like a similar aesthetic, I, I think. Did you like The Green Knight? Did you see that? Mm-mm. Yeah, I just watched it. It was fine. <laughs> nice. Cut. You like this summer? <laughs> quality, uh, quality <laughs> breakdowns for a podcast. I loved it. Yeah, anyway. it was fine. <laughs> Did you like Midsummer? When I saw it in the theaters, I was quite impressed. And then when I revisited it, I was not so impressed anymore. Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. I thought um, it was a great theater experience. It was, uh, yeah. Like I was there with, with uh, some people and, we were like cracking up because I mean, it's like, it's kind of a comedy. Right. And like, but then they also kind of nail things with like, especially the breathing part. I think you're kind of getting at with like the trauma turning into like maybe an ecstatic experience where she's like wailing. And then the other people are like joining in with her in this like mimicking breathing exercise thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It does do a good job of like showing the sort of which I guess Bataille is really into as well, like this idea of the feast or the celebration always being if it's like a like always being sort of at the limit of death or not far from the graveyard. Um mm. which I think I mean I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre does it better than it does it like the best. That idea of like the sort of horrific yeah. um, celebration or whatever. I think like I mean, the whole, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Uh, what well, came to mind just now and I hadn't thought of it before was like, uh, have you seen uh, shit, Fire in the Sky? Mm-hmm. The, the alien abduction movie? It's like kind oh. of like a... It's a very, very loose adaptation of the story of Travis Walton. And that, like, there's, it just, like, has this famous end sequence of when he's up in the UFO and it's this horrible, disgusting, like, grotesque and, like, terrifying thing. And it that's, stays like... stays with you, for sure, yeah. And then he comes back down and, like, he's, like, post-experience and he's, like, so beat up and, like, confused and he's been gone for days... It. But there's still like there's an aspect of like the sublime up there too because it's just so alien. It's like it's really well done, but it's like it's kind of unlike any other alien abduction sequence. Uh, yeah, cool. if you haven't seen that, it's I feel like it speaks to that that theme a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Also, cool. yeah, of, of course that brings to mind uh, the writings of of Whitley Strieber have that aspect mm-hmm. of like things being terrible confusing but then leading to like this immense spiritual growth which is like being confronted with a thousand-eyed angel you know that looks like a wheel and a monster or whatever right yeah yeah do you know uh uh, jeffrey kripal's work i don't think Uh, so he's like a scholar of uh esoteric religions and mysticism and all of his work is sort of about this like 
you know, the trauma of the mystical experience, like, and, or like, uh, or the other way around, like the mystical experience of trauma or something like that. And he's like written about Whitley Strieber and like who did communion is the, you know, uh, so like, and yeah, his stuff is all about this sort of, actually, it's kind of funny that didn't come to mind before because it's very similar to Bataille in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. What was the one we had read? Supernatural? Yeah. And yeah. We talked about, yeah. Yeah. That book is really interesting. Because uh, it like, yeah, Whitley Strieber was a, maybe one of the most like famous UFO contactees, but his experiences are so strange and like, uh, cross over into the mystical like pretty quickly um nice. yeah 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 it's funny yeah all these things kind of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this podcast kind of fall into that wheelhouse actually it's kind of interesting uh or at least maybe it's just seeing like seeing these things differently in the light of this uh you know headless <laughs> yeah, yeah this headless light yeah the, headless light, the lab in the light in the labyrinth yeah, yeah oh i yeah. just rewatched labyrinth actually which was uh oh wow yeah interesting experience <clears throat> i haven't seen that forever is that yeah the labyrinth yeah. is like sort of crucial there's like the structure of the labyrinth being kind of like crucial to to Bataille's thought um as opposed to like the pyram- pyramid or the cathedral or whatever um or the guts the, the space of the guts um yeah so i was like i rewatched it to see and it was like very i was like sort of watching it with the tie in mind and i was like oh wow i feel like this is actually a really good sort of intro to some <laughs> some of his thoughts because it's like this idea of like you know he, she's like wandering through the labyrinth and it's just like it'll be like very scary and eerie and then all of a sudden it's like song and dance you know or like, it's yeah. like oh a secret window so there's like there's like every kind of mood and like transcendence or whatever isn't another world but it's almost like a kind of layer in the labyrinth or a different turn which is sort right. of what he thinks mm. yeah that's yeah that's so interesting I, I should watch that again with that with that in mind um huh man get, what else i'm like know? thinking yeah. about Ga- gasper no now and that those some of those films and i feel like oh, they're too much for me they they really they leave, they leave me feeling bad yeah I'm usually, <laughs> I'm usually like kind of a hater but i think there's like interesting <laughs> things in them um yeah yeah but it is too intense for me (laughs) well i think that's kind of like the thing that's interesting now like doubling back is the intensity like sort of captures Mm -hmm. the visceral nature of like a limit experience um because it's not often to the benefit of like actual like fear or like staying power because like i don't know for me like the the scariest movie i've ever seen is uh the vanishing the original vanishing have you ever seen that film uh it's not like it's not there's no horror or gore but like just this story itself is like sickening (laughs) like and it it like i don't know it's it's a film i've seen and it like i just think about it sometimes and i'm like terrified you know where i don't have that sort of reaction to gasper nose films because they feel more like a a ride like a carnival ride or something i guess that's not i don't want to i don't want that to be like my uh blurb from this episode because it's a fucking horrible carnival ride. 
Well, actually, yeah, I think there is something about that. It's almost like he's, it, it is, it's like a visual excess as opposed to like the sort of eerie, quiet mm-hmm. horror that can mm-hmm. sometimes stay with you for a long time. It's almost like you have to expel some of, some of it afterwards. Or it's very, it's like yeah. too much, but I think um, I, I am as I guess, I guess we were talking about a little, but I'm interested in this sort of like carnival carnival-esque experience or where do we find like the the sort of sacred festival now um and like the moment and like I like I like horror movies and I guess I would categorize like loop him in there but where where like some kind of party becomes (laughs) a a horrifying experience Hmm. oh man I mean, that's... yeah, you'll love that society movie then. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm excited for <laughs> yeah. it. Um, Which I think like clowns and, and all that stuff are really good teachers for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Oh. Like Carnival of Souls itself. There's mm. there's not like a differentiation. Like it's the whole party is the horror of the film. Like they're equal yeah. parts like. I don't know. It's equal parts like fun and and also like horrifying or something. Yeah, it's in the same. We were talking about. Yeah, in between. I don't know. It's it's just yeah. We were talking about like uh, Eyes Wide Shut as like a Saturnalia film. um, Oh yeah. Oh god. Which like and that's like obviously a party uh, party (laughs) film and, uh, but yeah like the the freedom that these like festival times open up uh give way to terrible things i guess sometimes yeah yeah sometimes i think that's i or at least because there's some like because one there's like a limit that's approached there is a kind of openness to any kind of experience mm-hmm. so yeah i don't think yeah it's it's like maybe not necessarily but also this idea of like the feast or like or like taking in too much leading to Mm. some kind of um loss or whatever this idea of loss and excess being connected in some way yeah it's like yeah like festivities being intertwined with like ceremony as well Um, yeah yeah the airing of grievances Mm. have you uh have you seen the scary of 61st street it's like mm-hmm. uh, Dasha from Red Scare's horror movie about Epstein. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. Is it good? <laughs> uh, I won't say too much if nobody's seen it on the pod and probably not a lot of people yeah. have seen it in general. Um, I think it's worth, yeah. it's worth a watch, though, for sure. Um, it's kind of like made as a, a bit of a sister film to uh, Eyes Wide Shut. But there, there. Some of the acting and stuff is like very, like ecstatic, over, off the wall, like kind of like um, just over the top acting and like I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like seems like it's uh, relative to what we're talking about, but you know, I'm not gonna go well, off the rails on that one. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, these like these like weird party weird party films. I mean, I think that I, uh, I guess we're like killer clowns from outer space falls mm. into <laughs> falls into this like absurd like comedy horror, right? Um, uh-huh. 
thing. And I and uh, what else? I mean, are, do you guys like it? Hmm. Sure. Well, they're like the television miniseries, definitely. The, the te- yeah, I didn't. I yeah. was not a fan of the new ones. I have yeah. To say. Nah. yeah. No. Yeah. They're uh, they're pretty bad, I guess. Maybe like for for like kids now or like teenagers now. I guess it's like it for a new generation or some shit. But yeah, that original no. TV one. I don't know what's funny in there though. That shit scares the fuck out of me. Still, <laughs> I watch that shit. I'm like, it's really scary. But yeah. there's something so absurd about Tim Curry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. and and For there sure. are some, like the balloon, like the balloon moment in the sink. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, I think like th- that's quite interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and playful and weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah him that, when he appears yeah. at like the uh, when he appears at the dam or something, and the we all float. Kind of, I'm gonna call it a bit. That is pretty funny, I guess. But. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. The the scary cloud, <laughs> or the funny that that's sort of yeah. He's he's an interesting character. I mean, also just the fact that he's like in drains and hangs right. out in the sewers. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Mikhail Bakhtin talks a lot about like carnival. Like, he has mm. a whole book on carnival ambivalence, and he talks about how like the carnival body or the grotesque body is um like sort of high highs and low lows. So like like towers or towers and drains or you know like these like these unassimilable parts like extremes i guess in in terms of um architecture so i think it's just like totally perfect that pennywise lives in the the sewer yeah that's yeah i feel like there's some weird something about uh made for tv movies uh is able (laughs) to capture like an eeriness that like film doesn't, I don't know why, <laughs> like something about that, yeah. like mini, that mini series is so much scarier than the new one. It feels like it has something to do with like the medium itself somehow. For sure. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's like 10 hours, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, that's one thing. Yeah. I mean, and that book is like this <laughs> yeah. fucking thick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's something, and also there you get to know, because you also get to know the kids more. You get to like know them. I mean, they just felt so one dimensional yeah. in the. In yeah. The, I mean, I think their backstories are so important, and then we like actually give give a shit about them. Yeah, yeah. Not to get into the weeds too, because like I'm not sure if this is there, but like mediumistically, uh, TV is like aesthetically created in a way where it transports the story into your own home, and like it. Mm such a story about like fucked up familial trauma but it like yeah, that's injects <laughs> itself into your own house you know also yeah. like the aesthetic itself like uh has like that lifetime film look you right know? And that's that so true it really is. <laughs> yeah yeah it feels like a like a nightmare kind of mm-hmm um Great. well because yeah. it's so bright that's what i i, I that yeah. was so interesting and like the new ones are so like dark and yeah like, goth and i'm like but we get it like you know right <laughs> yeah. right yeah it doesn't really work with the clown i guess the clown doesn't want like hbo dark shades <laughs> it wants like yeah and all the what is it called the cgi i mean right it's, just, yeah. it's like all cgi now yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think TV is an underutilized medium for for horror. Maybe not. Maybe it's too late. But 
Uh, have you oh, seen like Channel about, Zero? Like, no. Wait, what? Channel Zero. It was a. It was four seasons. It was an anthology series. Um, hmm. Each season is about four or five hours long. So it's like, you know, kind of like four. Or I think it's four seasons. So it's like four discrete movies, kind of, but they're like long movies. Um, hmm. And that's like the best horror filmmaking I've seen in, you know, ev- like ever, like not oh, ever, cool. but, but you know what I mean? Like it, it's up there with like yeah. really good stuff. It's like kind of derivative, but like, I think that expansiveness is good um, for doing a different kind of horror um, than in film. I agree. I think, well, there's like, I just, I just, what did I just watch? Uh, Midnight Mass. Oh yeah, is that any good? Just on, I guess Netflix. I want to say, yeah. I'm not, yeah, um, yeah. I liked it. I, I did. Yeah. I did like it. I mean, I'm a sucker for like angels and demons stuff. Or it's like mm. horror Catholic style, but um, yeah. yeah. And what's his name? Hamish Linklater. Mm. Really, quite quite good as the, <laughs> as the priest. I was kind of blown away. Yeah, Netflix then, is doing um, good stuff. Do you guys watch American Horror Story? Like any of those? Just the first two. Um, Super campy. <laughs> yeah, right. I started watching yeah. a, a recent one about um, vampires and like a writer. Um, it was. Oh, I think. Oh, yeah. Is it, is it good? Uh, I was like entertained by it. I was curious to see where <laughs> it goes, where it went, and then I just kind of um, I fell off. But I would, I would return to it. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that we yeah, we ended up in this conversation about horror <laughs> movies and stuff. Uh, like People love it. Yeah. That's where it you know, that's where it goes when you talk about this kind of stuff. It all goes yeah, it all goes yeah. to horror yeah. movie. <laughs> I yeah. feel like the uh the like demonic possession type stuff like flips a switch and like pushes me back like into catholicism like from a kid i'm just like for like temporarily like like shaking in my boots from that kind of did you grow up catholic yeah it like triggers a switch you know where it's like Uh yeah not me i'm just like wow that's too bad yeah (laughs) (laughs) i grew up like kind of like kind of catholic like you know like ish um so yeah i do have that i have that flip that, that switch a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah nah <laughs> i mean i'm just superstitious but i'm not like i don't i'm not putting mortal fear by these things it's like you know well, are you superstitious you oh yeah what? i was superstitious yeah yeah hmm. um i try to well you know maybe it's just obsessive <laughs> uh, i just try you know try to if you think of things in the right way, then it's not a problem. It's kind of my, my thought, Mm -hmm. but if you let yourself get caught up in it in a certain way, it can develop into something else. That's my thought on demons. Well, I think you, you've been affected by like the, uh, chicken or egg concept, like of the Ouija board and the poltergeist and stuff like that. Like, sure. It's such an infectious mythology. That's like, you can't really tell if it's created by, um yeah like films and cinema if it's like a cinematic invent or if it was something that like existed before that you know um 
but yeah i mean isn't that sort of like an infectious narrative of that same stream where it's like sure you play with the ouija board and it causes the haunting and then yeah. But only if you only if you think about it in a certain way, like yeah. if you let if you let that it's like let, it's like opening the gate kind of like mm-hmm. um, if you kind of close it after you're done. I think that's why the important that's the importance of like banishing rituals, right? Is to like be like okay, like I don't want to like carry this around on my back. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, you know, of course things get through, you know. <laughs> Well, like rituals in general, like this idea of like opening a space and closing a space, like containers, yeah. I think we're really missing this now. I mean, like the yeah. internet, it's so like fluid and mm. even the way we experience time now, it's just like this kind of constant worrying. Like there's no, um, we're not experiencing like houses of, or like, like sort of um, dwelling places of time. So I think that that right. can cause a kind of paranoia or superstition. I think it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that reminds me that, yeah, I saw that you had written a review of that uh, nostalgia book. Uh, oh, yeah, Grafton Tanner's book. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I just, I'm teaching like an English class and I taught that book. And oh, was, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, we just finished it. So it was funny. I was looking at your website and see what you've been doing lately. And it was like, oh, wow, there's that, that book. Yeah, yeah. Good book. He says some really interesting stuff about, yeah, like how time is so strange right now um not only because of the internet i guess but just because of the circumstances of modern life um, yeah for sure time is like i don't know we're like not generating novelty as much i, I tried to tell my students about like time wave zero and stuff and <laughs> Did like, they like uh, were they into it the one guy was like, boy, I have to look up this Terrence McKenna fellow. And <laughs> for most of them that. were just like, you know, yeah. Uh, but that feels pretty spot on still. His, uh, yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, I love how he talks about like, like sort of uh, our obsession with progress. Yeah. like sort of paradoxically making us more nostalgic mm. right yeah he's yeah it's a really really smart smart book he's great he's cool yeah i really like that book um and i think i even mentioned it like on the last on the last podcast we did uh or maybe it was a patreon episode or something but, yeah 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 we were yeah. Talk- we've been talking a lot of the kind of like lost futures uh, mm-hmm. thing and like involving like the metaverse and all that stuff um, but it's it's interesting it seems kind of like the like a lot of the objective of you know popular western um, occultism in like the 19th century is to like open something and and not close it like especially in the sort of like Kenneth Grant like post Crowleyan writings is, is it essentially to like bring about like a new aeon you know like to to bend uh the fourth dimension um and I think that's kind of like something that's a big part of like magical ritual now is like making these like interdimensional connections or something or extra dimensional connections whatever but right like changes to the world um yeah less less goal oriented that maybe older magic was mm-hmm. uh 
or you know, like the Pennsylvania German uh, powwows book comes to mind, which is like this. It's a magical text that is built around specific ills and like specific goals. Whereas now I feel like a lot of magic is like about sort of just generalized personal power or just like letting chaos into the world. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, interesting. That I mean, yeah, that definitely seems like a reflection of, yeah, like what sort of dominant narratives they guess. Yeah. Right. It's like out of, there's, there's not as much, I mean, that's not true. There's tons of folk magic, but like those, yeah. more prominent writers aren't aren't writing from a place of folk magic they're writing from like paradigm shifting kind of, mm. kind of things right yeah i mean i guess it makes sense after like well i don't know after all those wars and stuff i guess like big moves were on the mind you know yeah, yeah. like big swaths of like in- influence as opposed to daily life and trying to like make your own personal circle a little bit better um i don't know it's also that kind <laughs> of like drawing down the sun you know like that drawing it's down been the with sun. mysticism for drawing down the moon yeah. and the sun like right yeah yeah bringing the cosmos to you essentially i don't know yeah, there's certainly like even I mean, I study some astrology, too. And like, there's a huge difference in the way that ancient astrology talks about the cosmos versus modern, uh, you know, there tends to be like way more focus on, um, you know, like, yeah, this idea of like sort of the cosmos or or whatever being for for the individual somehow or some or somehow like personalized or psychologized Mm. um um whereas like in a lot of ancient texts it's seen as more um like environmental and yeah you know it's not as like this is about your specific life and your personality and like you should like take it and use it and like do this with it like it's not Mm. it's not about that necessarily yeah i always see like when people criticize uh, astrology from that from the position of like cold and different universe kind of you know i'm always like well i I don't know astrology can still be true like just because it's not true in the sense of like you know newspaper horoscopes or whatever right 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 yeah Yeah. i'm like i'm like i'm kind of into the like cold and different universe (laughs) (laughs) but that cold Um, and different universe still has uh you know, it has tides and has like, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think paradoxically it's like, I almost feel like that, like that's can help more than, I don't know. There's something about that that seems a little, at least for me, a little more helpful or interesting than um, someone telling me about my personality or something. Mm. Right. Well, it's yeah. It's like psychology was the, Worst thing that ever happened to humanity. <laughs> or is it, that's a great. Is that the consensus on reality? Yeah. Like take. Uh, no, on a I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like psychology, but it, it did really make great. us pretty obsessed with like. Yeah, like, it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, it's you, just like anything. It's like you. I mean, I think under capitalism, it's just sort of like right. becomes really. Um, it become, we, you know, we're sort of living. I guess. I guess 
a little bit of a narcissistic uh yeah world yeah <laughs> yeah and the, the whole the new age movement like is kind of responsible for defining that aspect of, of the way we perceive mysticism now and the very like uh self reflective like self initiation and stuff like that it's kind of like the way that like the the way we visualize spiritual experiences is informed by like psychedelic experiences i think a lot and like disassociative experiences um that's mm -hmm. kind of the way like a lot of our uh not like literally from taking psychedelics but like from depictions of it in like film and movies and stuff like yeah so mm -hmm. much of like our we're we're so informed by our media culture you know like the new age export has has sort of like changed the way we think about spirituality totally it reminds me of that adam curtis documentary and also Mad Men. <laughs> yeah 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 totally yeah yeah weren't we just talking about Mad Men too yeah we talked about both Mad Men and adam curtis i think on the last episode yeah yeah, oh, really? yeah. century of the self and, Entry uh, of the Self, that's it, right, right. Because we were talking about uh, Carlos Castaneda and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, like the self-made, anonymous kind of, like, you know, new like new persona that you can make in America. Mm -hmm. Like, you kind of disappear. Not anymore, of course, but at one point. Right. Back in the right. 60s. Don Draper and, I yeah. guess, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Mad Men. Well, I mean, I guess we're all sort of like advertisers now. Mm, yeah. Right. We've all got the influenza. Influenza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a weird, weird world. Yeah. on reality. Yeah. yeah. So uh, should we sign off there or? Yeah, we can wrap it up there. Uh, what? Uh, Cut the tape. What do you? Yeah, if you want to tell people where your uh, stuff is, maybe like what your home base is on the internet, where it should, just where my, you can be just found. My, my website, my first and last name dot com, and nice. then I have, a, I have a Substack, just my first name dot Substack dot com. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff do you talk about there? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I talk a lot about film. Um, it's kind of just whatever, you know, whatever deranged um, thing I'm, you know, ramblings I'm, I'm thinking about that day. I sometimes I'll, I'll like send stuff out on the new moon. Mm, nice. uh, usually like film stills and such. Cool. That's great. Um, yeah. So everyone check that out and yeah, we'll put the, uh, the website up yeah. we'll link it and everything um and you have like some pieces in in the mood magazine is that is that print or just yes. online that's online yeah that just came out it's like a piece on clowns kind of a lot of the stuff we were just talking about actually clowns and uh, carnivals and crypts and freaky stuff cool. like that. uh yeah check out the website it's pretty awesome there's a lot of writings on it and some really cool uh, reference images and stuff so check that out in the links um, let us know what you thought drop the comments subscribe like influence i don't know uh, thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>